0: The My Colorful Nana Project is a collected group of generous thinkers. It is an invitation for all to expand upon and celebrate their definitions of the words beauty and blackness. My name is Lauren Stockman Brown, and I am the founder of the My Colorful Nana Project. And thanks for listening. What is beauty? What is femininity? What is blackness? Is black hair beautiful? Does it matter? I don't know. You tell me. In this episode, we will listen to African-American novelist James Baldwin's forceful response to Professor Paul Weiss on The Dick Cavett Show in 1968. Baldwin's words were relevant then and are still relevant today, as we will see when discussing Alyssa Ashley's experience growing up in white suburbia for the first 18 years of her life.
1: My name is Alyssa Ashley. I am 23 years old. I went to the University of Delaware. I'm currently a communications coordinator and I am a female. My pronouns are she/her. Now identifying with being West Indian because I feel like we're so used to growing up in a predominantly white area just saying we're black when there's more to that. I'm 50% West Indian, 50% Jamaican. So I feel like as I'm learning who I am, it's important to say more than just I'm African-American. I've known Lauren for a while now.
0: (laughs) How long? How long have you known me?
1: For too long. (laughs) Ah,
0: yeah, thank you. (laughs) Since
1: you were, before you went into high school. Yeah, that's
0: freaking crazy. We titled the episode White Suburbia and Me. What do you think that title means, White Suburbia and
1: Me? I think it shows the outside factor of growing up in white suburbia. The and me part shows we're a little bit on the outside, but we're still a part of the situation. We're still a part of white suburbia.
0: And where did you grow up, Alyssa? Or, or Where did we grow up, Alyssa?
1: <laughs> we grew up in a quiet town of Chappaqua, New York. Me and Warren really connected. I feel like I related with you in a lot of aspects. We developed a trust, and we've always been in touch over the years.
0: Many people may wonder why we are still honing in on this conversation of race and black hair. And I just want to confront this conversation with a very direct perspective. And I think James Baldwin does an amazing job discussing the severity of the situation in the 1960s as well as in 2019. Alyssa Ashley and James Baldwin's conversation goes hand in hand, in my opinion, because it forces you to think and consider the other side from the perspective of the quote
1: unquote other.
0: All right, Alyssa, how many black people would you say were in Greeley, uh, our high school? How how many people were in our high school, and then how many black people?
1: I mean, I connected with your brother because he was the only black person in the school at the time, near my age. I mean, it was him and another African-American, my sister. That was really it. I mean, there (laughs) were other people.
0: Out of how many people?
1: Out of... 400? How many? 400? I don't know. You just
0: named, what, four or five people? And one of them I'm related to, and the other one you're related to? <laughs> and then out of, then 500 people? I'm sorry, every time I hear it, I just get like. It's
1: insane. Yeah. But, I mean, I was the only black person, black woman in my grade, mm. And other from that, there was my sister. There was Jordan. And that was really it.
0: I would like to add someone to our group here. Uh, Professor Paul Weiss, the Sterling Professor of Philosophy at Yale.
2: Some of it. Did you hear anything that you disagreed with? Or I disagreed with a great deal of it. And uh, of course, there's a good deal I agree with. But I think uh, he's overlooking one very important matter, I think. Each one of us, I think, is terribly alone. He lives his own individual life. He has all kinds of obstacles in the way of religion, or color, or size, or shape, or lack of ability and the problem is to become a man. But what I was discussing was not that problem, really. I was discussing the difficulties, the obstacles, the very, the very real danger
3: of death thrown up by the society when a Negro, when a black man attempts to become a man.
2: All this emphasis upon black man and white does emphasize something which is here, but it emphasizes or perhaps exaggerates it, and therefore makes us for, uh, put people together in groups which they ought not to be in.
0: I have these memories of us sitting in your car. I was just like upset about my hair and confused about it. And I was like so nervous to ask, do you feel this way too about your hair?
1: Something that I've thought of a lot is how it's such an uncomfortable topic amongst ourselves because it's so inner, it's so personal. Our hair is a part of us. You had trouble talking to me about it because you weren't sure even how you felt at the time trusting someone, talking to someone about something so personal where so many people can't really relate. At that time, no one was really rocking their natural hair on Instagram. No one at our school. Like, I remember about to go into high school being like to my mom, I'm not wearing braids anymore. Like, stop putting braids on me. Who would I have spoken about that with, you know? So I think having each other at that point was so critical. I remember seeing your path on accepting your hair it's a little bit different than mine.
0: What was your hair journey like in comparison to mine? What made that? different.
1: I think growing up my sister always had such long hair all the time since I could ever remember. She was always getting her hair permed and it just always worked for her. I remember my first perm did not turn out like my sister's. It just it wasn't working for me. I didn't know what to do. I didn't want to go to school with braids. My mom was giving me different options and I was just annoyed. I was just like why am I dealing with this? As I've always said to you it's not about what's on your head. It's about what's in it. You
0: have told told me that since I was like 15 I think.
1: Yeah and I feel like it just took so much away from me that I was concerned about my hair and I was annoyed that I was concerned about my hair and I I mean it's hard to explain unless you're going through it I think also even how guys look at you and how you're I mean it affected everything
0: like what tell me what did it affect
1: like the groups you were in socially for me that was my perspective mm-hmm. of if you wanted to look good you have to look like everyone else growing up we all were wearing the same clothes the same jeans the same jackets everything our school looked all the same we all wore the same things we had the same cars like if you didn't it was spoken about
0: Mm, if you wanted to look good you had to look like everyone else
2: true i have more in common with a black scholar than i have with a white man who's against scholarship and you have more in common with a white author than you have with someone who's against all literature so why must we always concentrate on color or religion or this? There are other ways of connecting men. I'll tell you this.
3: You talk about making it as a writer by yourself. You had to be able then to turn up all the intent of which you live because once you turn your back on this society, you may die. You may die. And it's very hard to sit at a typewriter and concentrate on that if you're afraid of the world around you. The years I lived in Paris did one thing for me. They released me from that particular social terror, which was not the paranoia of my own mind, but a real social danger visible in the face of every cop, every boss, everybody.
1: What was
0: that like for you, right? Young girl, let's say, well, start elementary school, let's say eight years old. Could you feel the difference?
1: I mean, people would ask me the difference. I remember one girl, she looked at me and she said, do you ever wish you had hair like me while twirling her hair on the bus?
0: Do you wish you had hair like me?
1: Yes. And I looked her in her eye and I said no, because I knew that would be the answer that my mom would want me to say. At the time, it was never a question that went through my mind. I wish I had hair like her. It wasn't about her. It wasn't about the other white people in our school. It was about me feeling comfortable, me liking what I looked like. I mean, I always thought I was beautiful.
0: Yes, and I, yes, as you are. <laughs> and
1: I thought it was more beautiful with braids. But as I grew up and as I got older, guys would ask me, like, can I get cornrows like you? Like, it was uncomfortable having braids growing up. I mean, it was very obvious that I was different from a very young age, but I also wasn't. It was an unspoken thing. Explain go to sleepovers I would I would always go in the bathroom right when everyone's sleeping and tie my hair up you know explain tying your hair up I get my like little hair tie it's not a rag. it's like this green hair tie yeah. I waited until everyone was asleep I went to the bathroom and then I just tied my hair because I want my hair my head to be on silk that's like so that's a necessity but I don't know if you remember this story I told you not too long after it happened, I was with my then boyfriend at the time, and he looked at me. Right before bed, I was tying my hair up, and I felt so comfortable with him that I felt fine, like, tying my hair up in front of him. And he just looks at me and goes, you look like a cancer patient when you tie your hair up like that. And I just remember being in shock. I wasn't mad. I mean, it was an initial reaction. If you do... I wasn't surprised by him saying that, but I was shocked that he said it. And I just knew he didn't understand, you know? And how could a white guy really understand? I mean, I used to say that when I was younger, too, when I, my mom would wrap my hair up, I used to be upset that I had to do it. I'd be like, i like, why do I have to do this? Like, I look ridiculous, you know? It was never an issue. My hair is never an issue in the relationship. But I think that just, like, at night, there's different things that different people do. Part of my routine is to take care of my hair but a part of a lot of people's routine, it's just to go to bed. It's just to (laughs) lay down on that pillow and go to bed.
0: I feel like your teachers looked at you differently because you were like the only black girl in the class.
1: Yeah, I mean, even in high school, we had to think of different scenarios of occupations and the teacher gave her example looking right at me. She looks at me and she goes, you can make your option hair braiding and just goes on on a tangent about the salary you'd make as a hair braider. And I'm like, out of all the options you could have chose, I think she honestly couldn't think of an occupation and she just looked at me, and was like she gets her hair braided probably. She blanked on one and she looked at me and that was the first thing that came to her mind.
0: So how does that make you feel?
1: I mean, it's telling of how she thinks of me. If you're thinking of my hair as the first thing, when you see me, you don't see me being like a doctor, that that would spark an example to everyone else. But instead she chose something of what she sees of me. I think for us, we weren't seen as a threat. In our school we were just as smart as everyone we weren't i mean we were all amazing kids so it wasn't an awkwardness you know
0: did you feel more pressure to be that amazing kid than your white counterpart or like more of an expectation
1: well i mean growing up with my mom i she always said more eyes are on you if you make a mistake it's it's going to be elevated it'll be known so i think just from that i always knew that to be a good kid, to just listen and be respectful, don't act out, don't be the stereotype, meaning there is an expectation of what people think of black people, that people do think they might not be as smart, they might not be as capable. And I think that has always been embedded in our society. It really, you, you see it on TV when we're younger, there's always that black stupid girl who's the sidekick along with the white main character. You know, so just not being that stupid sidekick on the side, following, not following other people, standing your ground, having your own opinions. That, and with that, you can be whoever you want. You can be a stereotype, but as long as that's who you want to be. Um, I think it really wasn't until college where I became more comfortable with myself. I was doing what I did in private around my friends, like wrapping my hair, just do it like hairspray, like stupid little things like that in front of my guy friends, in front of my per- my girlfriends. But I always, when I was younger, I was shocked that guys liked me because I didn't have the same hair as the other females in my classroom. Um, that just changed over time. You just, I built more confidence.
0: You were in college and you realized that like dealing with hair anxieties is, is minimal. And I hear that and mm-hmm. I've, 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 as I get older, I'm realizing that and as I get more into this project, I can understand that mm-hmm. right so one of the things I'm trying to emphasize with this project is that it's so much more than just hair mm-hmm. right so right. it's like what the hair connects to right? it's like yes I'm so grateful that like and I'm sure you are too you express that that like we were raised in the communities we were raised in mm-hmm. particularly as black women right and yes we do know how to interact with different crowds and sometimes it's hard to inter- interact with other crowds is it important to talk about black hair in your opinion
2: why must we always concentrate on color or religion or this? There are other ways. I don't know what there. most white people in this country feel, but I can only
3: include what they feel from the state of their institutions. I don't know if white Christians hate Negroes or not, but I know that we have a Christian church which is white and a Christian church which is, which is black. I know as Malcolm X once put it, it's the most segregated hour in American life is high noon on Sunday. That's a great deal for me about a Christian nation. It means that I can't afford to trust most white Christians and certainly cannot trust the Christian church. I don't know whether the labor unions and their bosses really hate me. That doesn't matter, but I know I'm not in their unions. I don't know if the real estate lobby is anything You're against black right. people, but I know the real estate lobbies keep me in the ghetto. I don't know if the, if the Board of Education hates black people, but I know the textbooks they give my children to read and the schools that we have to go to. Now, this is the evidence. You want me to make an act of faith, risking myself, my wife, my woman, my sister, my children, on some. Idealism, which you assure me exists in America, which I have never seen.
1: This has been such a part of who you are and just talking about it. And you love to hear the different perspectives. It's fitting that this podcast is created. And I love it. And I love you for shining light on this topic. Hair can be spoken about. You don't have to be ashamed to talk about it. You don't have to be ashamed to be who you are. And even, it's not just about hair. It's not just about what it looks like. Obviously, it's about what's in your head. So spreading more about what you think of your feelings and just being open about it will make a huge difference, as it's already have. I'm very proud of you, Lauren.
0: All right, you guys heard it here first. It's not about what's on your head. It's about what's in your head. Amen. And um, thank you so much for being here, Alyssa Ashley.
1: Thanks for thinking generously, and I hope to see you next week.